Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it's Albert. We've got a fantastic show coming for you this week. We've got takeaways on Julian Edelman, on the Panthers and Sam Darnold, on Deshaun Watson, and on the San Francisco 49ers situation. We've got a great guest coming in to talk to us about all of the quarterbacks in the draft. And as we always do, we get to your questions in the six-pack. Let's go. Welcome in. We've got two weeks to go until the NFL draft. We've got a ton to get to draft-related, non-draft-related. It's the Albert Breer Show. Got a fantastic guest coming for you guys this week to take us through the ins and the outs of Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, and the rest of the quarterbacking landscape across the NFL. We're going to get to your questions in the six-pack, too, but we're going to start where we always do with the takeaways. And my first takeaway for the week of April the 12th, I believe it is, Julian Edelman retires. I think his, his, his legacy in New England is secure. One of the toughest, most clutch players. He's one of those guys that I think is always going to be seen sort of in a different light in the city that he plays in versus everywhere else. Like I remember when I was in college, the way that my friends all saw Bernie Kosar, all my friends from Cleveland saw Bernie Kosar, it was almost bizarre to me, but there was something different about him um, that kind of put him in a different, I, I guess, stratosphere as a player um, than most of the rest of the football-watching world had him um, there locally, and I think the same sort of thing exists with Julian Edelman. But the question that came up this week has been about whether or not he's worthy of induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And at first glance, I'm with most other people, which is to say no. But I think it's worth a discussion, and here's why. I think sometimes we get too caught up in numbers. I think sometimes we get too caught up in records. I think sometimes we get too caught up in personal achievements. And we lose sight of the idea of the whole thing in the first place from the time you first pick up a bat, the time you first pick up a hockey stick, the, first, the time you first dribble a basketball or strap on a football helmet. The idea in all of it, the, the idea of the whole thing, like why you felt great some days and why you felt bad other days when you were a kid is to win the game, right? And like, I think some, I, I think sometimes, you know, we, we have to take the moments that cause teams to win at the highest level and separate them from everywhere, everything else. And I think too often as we become more kind of analytically, uh, a little more, we've become more analytically minded. We've sort of tried to take some of that emotion out of it. And I don't think anybody should apologize for looking at the biggest moments, looking at the moments where it mattered the most and separating them from everything else. 
And so I think that's why Julian Edelman's case is so interesting, and it, it, it should, I think, it merit a robust discussion in the room um, with those 50-some-odd people that are charged with choosing who gets to go to Canton and who doesn't. And again, I don't think I'd put Julian Edelman in. But when you look at some of the moments, right, you can look at his, the four Super Bowls that he played in, right? He missed one of those games, but the four Super Bowls that he played in. The first one, I, you know, he's still on the Patriots roster because of his ability to play defense, his ability to return punts, his ability to cover kicks. Like that's what bought him time to become a great slot receiver, converting from being, you know, a five foot ten quarterback at Kent State. And then the next three Super Bowls, in Super Bowl forty nine, he gets, I mean, like one of the hardest hits I've ever seen. He takes one of the hardest hits I've ever seen from from Seattle's biggest, baddest player, Cam Chancellor, bounces up and scores the game-winning touchdown. In Super Bowl 51, he catches the ball off his shoestrings. It's just an impossible catch that sparked the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. And then Super Bowl 53, he was the game's MVP. So at the biggest moments, he came up biggest, and he created memories from those moments that are going to be part of pro football lore going forward. And... Like, on top of that, these weren't just, like, singular moments the way, like, say, Mario Manningham's catch was or the way that, say, David Tyree's catch was. It was part of a string of incredible production, and he's the second-leading receiver in yards and in catches all time. Jerry Rice is the only one who's better than him in those two categories in playoff history. And so I think we at least have to consider that because those moments matter more than week five. Those moments matter more than the stretch drive of a regular season. Those moments matter the most. Now, is he fortunate to play with Tom Brady? Yes. Is he fortunate to play for the organization that he played for? Yes. Would those moments have been impossible if, you know, say the Jaguars had drafted him? Yes. So you have to take that into account. But I also think it does, you know, being a winning player matters because the whole the point of the whole thing is to win. And, you know, if you look back at the history of pro football, we've put guys in before because they had those moments. Joe Namath, I think, is that guy. Lynn Swan is that guy. And I wouldn't argue against those guys being him, but that, let's call it what it is. Like Those guys are on other teams. Based on the numbers, based on who they were, they're probably not getting in the Hall of Fame. And so I think the argument here becomes moments versus career. And that's why I think Julian Edelman's case is similar to Eli Manning's case. Because at, at their peak, each of those guys was maybe, what, seventh eighth ninth best player at his position and wasn't at that spot for very long but like i think you like have to add in the moments and you look at the moments you look what they mean to their franchises and i think that's where the debate comes again my barometer you know mostly for hall of fame induction and i don't have a vote so respect to the selectors because i don't you know like i don't know what it's like to be in that room my barometer had always been you need to be, like, say, a top five player at your position for an extended period of time. Neither Eli nor Julian fit that. So for me, it'd be very difficult to vote for either one of those guys for the Hall of Fame. But I think you have to at least consider it because I do think that those sorts of moments do matter. Take number two, takeaway number two, uh, the Panthers taking a swing on Sam Darnold, I think is, to me, like a worthwhile move. And I've thought a lot about this. Now, I know we talked about Darnold last week. 
let me explain to you how I see this and why I think logically it makes sense for the Panthers to do this now. And I'm using that word carefully, swing. I don't think it's a gigantic investment. It's a swing. And you know, to, to, to kind of illustrate where I'm at on this, I think I'm going to take... I think what you can do is you can take the general man, the new general manager there, Scott Federer, and look at his background. Where did he come from? He came from Seattle. Now let's look at how Seattle found its quarterback. Seattle found its quarterback by first bringing back Matt Hasselbeck for a year under Pete Carroll and John Schneider, their first year in Seattle, by trading for Charlie Whitehurst that first year, by bringing in Tavares Jackson in year two, some point along the line there, they took a late-round flyer on a quarterback from Rutgers named Mike Teal. And then, in year three, signing Matt Flynn to what at the time looked like a starting quarterback type of contract, right? So you had taken, at that point, I mean, legitimately four swings. Let's not count Teal, but legitimately four swings at getting the quarterback position right. And then on swing five, you wind up with Russell Wilson in the third round. And because you got it right, no one remembers all the swings and misses that you had. Point is, taking swings is how you wind up getting to the answer. And maybe you take a big swing on a guy at the top, or maybe you just keep getting taking t- taking cuts. And I look view what the what the Panthers are doing as a cut. And I don't think it's going to prevent them from taking a quarterback at eight. I think if a certain quarterback falls to them at eight, they very well could put, pull the trigger, draft the guy, and put him in a competition with Sam Darnold. And if they did that, you know what? To me, it's like, like, what's the worst result there? Well, you've got two quarterbacks under 24 years old competing for the starting job. Both have high-end ability. Both could be the quarterback of the future for you. And you got to figure out what to do with one of them. If you know, like, if if like one of them doesn't work out, like to me, if like if one of those two winds up being the long-term answer, doesn't matter what you did to get there. So. Like, I think it's a worthy swing on Sam Darnold. I think what it does is it, it gives you still the flexibility to take a quarterback at eight, but also the flexibility not to take a quarterback at eight. And maybe they take a tackle or a corner instead. But either way, you've got the ability to continue to take swings at the quarterback position while having taken, while having already taken a very worthy swing and going and getting Sam Darnold. Uh, takeaway number three. Like, I think it's very unlikely that Deshaun Watson gets traded before the, the, the season starts. But I think there's a way that it happens. I think there's a way it could happen. And I'm going to explain this to you guys because I think that it's important to at least recognize that if the Texans were to be motivated to move on from Deshaun Watson, and maybe they've decided that it's just time to move on from Deshaun Watson. Again, you guys know where I stand on his legal stuff. I, you know, I'm going to wait until there's clarity on it. Um, I don't think it's fair to indict Deshaun Watson. Think especially based on his reputation, the kind of guy he's been in the pros and in college, at least what we know of him, he deserves the benefit of the doubt. He deserves to have this process play out. On the other side, I think if you if if you're clearing him, like then you know you're not taking the uh, not taking the, the 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 allegation seriously enough. So I think it's impossible to have a strong take on that part of it, but. If the Texans did decide, well, we just, at this point, it's time for us to look at moving him. It's time for us to move on. It's time for us to move forward and start to build in a different way. Then I think there is a way to make it happen. And here's how. You could trade him to another team and ask that other team 
to give up their first round pick this year, just one first round pick this year, then ask for their first round picks in 22 and 23, condition those picks in 22 and 23 on him playing, on him actually taking the field. And then say, okay, and if he doesn't play, if he is suspended for the whole year, then we send you a two back and condition the 23 pick the same way on whether or not he plays in 22. And so I think that there's a creative way where you make this work. Like it's a first round, it's three first round picks. Plus let's say, let's throw a player in that first round pick this year is a sunk cost unless he doesn't play at all this year. In that case, the second round pick goes back. The second round pick gets sent back to um, to the team trading for him. And then those first round picks, again, are conditioned on him playing. I think there'd be a way to do it. And if the Texans want to move on, I think there's a way for them to move on. The question then becomes, and I think this is the issue, the question then becomes whether or not someone else's owner is willing to sign off for on it while we don't have clarity on it. And I think that that's prop, that may be the, the one piece of this that it to me might be a little bit like it's going to be tough i think for any owner in this environment in 2021 to get signed off until there's real clarity on the situation so chances are he's still on the texans until we have clarity on the situation in the courts but i mean there is a way i think where you could move him creatively uh takeaway number four the 49ers i think are handling the quarterback situation draft wise 100 percent the right way and i think what we're seeing play out now with their ability to go look at justin fields in person in columbus on wednesday with their ability to go look at trey lance on uh, in person on monday I, to, to me it's like why you do the deal early because you're able to go through this process and be able you're going to be able to see each of the guys throw live and now you're going to be able to sort of direct the workout for Justin Fields in Columbus. You're going to be able to sort of direct the workout for Trey Lance in North Dakota. And you're able to do these things because you don't have to sneak around anybody. And so I think that's, to me, the brilliance of the Niners doing the deal early in that they get to look at Mac Jones live. They sent Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch there. They'll be able to get to see the other two quarterbacks live and direct their workouts They'll be able to stand next to these guys, see what they look like, interact with them a little bit. Like, I just think it's brilliant the way that the, that the Niners have made this work. And I think, the, again, the thing that people are failing to recognize here is that they've got a whole month to go through this process. And the fact that they can do it out in the open and they can go through every step. And again, there's no hiding around and no trying to pretend like we're not out there looking for quarter. Like, that's all gone. And you really, I, I don't think, lose a whole lot by losing the mystery of what you're going to do. And you gain a lot by getting to go and seek this information in a very open way. And I still don't think they've made a final decision yet. I know that sounds crazy. I still don't think they've made a final decision yet. That's coming, though. Finally, takeaway number five. I think what we saw on Tuesday with some of the teams saying they're not going to come in and work out. There's a fight brewing again between the NFL and NFLPA. I don't know where it goes, but both sides are, are dug in here. The NFLPA has basically told their players, do not show up. You, it's, it's, these are voluntary workouts. It's not in your best interest to show up. We need to, be, we need to show solidarity on this. 
Um, and on the other side, the league wants to open the doors um, for off-season programs starting on Monday. They want for there to be on-field work at some point over the next couple of months. And sort of lingering in the background is teams like Green Bay that have a massive amount of players that have a sizable workout bonuses. Like the, the Packers have a number of players who have like half-million-dollar workout bonuses. And if they don't show up, then they risk losing that. So this has potential to get really, really messy. There was a conference call between the league and union on Monday. It's just, I think this bears watching because this is the kind of thing that could have an impact on the season where you have some teams refusing to go in, some players from some teams refusing to go in, and then maybe other teams because they've got these workout bonuses getting a leg up and their guys coming in because those guys don't want to lose a half million dollars. So just sort of follow it. I know it's maybe not the most exciting subject to follow, but I, I think you should follow it over the next couple of weeks because it really could play into how maybe the early parts of the 2021 season play out. And I think if it does, if it's not settled in the next few days, it's something we could be looking back on in September or in, uh, in October. And we'll get to our special guest right after this. All right, well, you know, I, I know it's going to sound a little different because I, uh, I'm the idiot who went and tried to do too many things at once. Bottom line is I don't have my mic right now. And so if this audio quality is a little different than normal, I absolutely apologize for that. I'm yelling into my MacBook right now. Uh, but I'm super excited to have our guest this week. Uh, he is a former first-round pick, a former NFL quarterback, a Super Bowl champion, and now uh, he's the head coach at Limpscomb Academy. And I think I pronounced that right, Trent. Uh, Trent Dilfer, welcome in. Oh, thanks, Albert. Thanks for having me. Yep, you said it right. Limpscomb Academy in Nashville, Tennessee. Okay, well, well, well it's been a little while since, you've, since, since, since you were on. So you guys had just finished up your season. So where are you guys at now? Uh, we lost in the state finals. Uh, when I took the job two years ago, they'd won three games in three years. We got to the semis my first year and lost in the state finals. Last year, uh, went 11 and three, uh, looking to build upon that. Got a great bunch of coaches and kids and a community that's bought in and just trying to get better every day and hopefully finish the race next year. All right. So the reason we had you on, like as much as we're happy for you for everything that you've done there, we have you on to, to talk about quarterbacks and kind of, you know, where the position's at, where we're going. And this is such an interesting time. I think you'd agree just kind of what's happened with quarterbacks. We've seen. Um, I think the number is four guys who were drafted in the top three, traded this offseason, Stafford, Goff, <laughs> and Darnold. Um, and now, you know, we have a crop that I think most people agree is one of the better crops um, in years and, and, and could be could wind up, you know, down the line showing as a, as a really good one. Um, so I want to start there, Trent. Like, I know you've worked with some of these kids through Elite 11. And I guess from, you know, from that standpoint, it'd be the class of 2018. Um, if you guys had an idea of what might be coming here, that the group that you had, that that high school class, uh, maybe, you know, kind of the way that all of that shaped up, if, if there was a way to see, you know, down the line that this might happen. Actually, yes. And I can't say that every year. You know, I, I can't say every year that we nailed the Elite 11 and we knew that there are going to be future pros. I think we've gotten better over time. Uh, 18 was a unique class where you knew Trevor and Justin would end up in the top five like you know when they were 17 years old they had rare traits 
They had rare work ethic. They had rare awareness. Um, they had rare leadership qualities. Like they checked every box at 17 and they were only going to get better. And we knew they were going to good places too, where they'd be developed and have a chance to play a lot of snaps. Now, Justin left Georgia and going to Ohio state. So we went from a really good situation to a better situation. Uh, Trevor at Clemson, we knew it would be good. Davis Mills is a great story. Uh, coming out of high school or going into his senior year was an incredible prospect uh, had a tragic knee injury his senior year, set him back at Stanford, ends up having a nice career. Uh, again, I think he's going to be a good pro. And Mac Jones was a guy that, you not not the class 2018, but a previous class, thought was a kid that was surprised he went to Alabama when Tua went. But his grit, resilience, you know, he stuck to it. He didn't take the easy road and get in the transfer portal and ends up paying off for him long term. So a lot of these guys back – even in high school, you could see whether it was their physical traits, their mental makeup, uh, their awareness, both socially, football-wise, competitively, that they were they were built different. And, and because of that, if, if they went to the right places and continued to develop, that they'd have a chance to be pros. And it's really becoming that. I, and I, as a high school coach, I can say, I can tell you right now, i got three or four kids on my team that have a chance to be NFL players. You, you just see it at a young age. They're built different. They think different. They work different. They interact different. Uh, if they maintain that trajectory, there's only so many of them out there. And with quarterbacks, you see at a young age, you can see with other position as well, uh, positions as well. Okay, so let's start with the obvious one. And, and that's the guy that we've been talking about for a few years now. Um, and you said it was obvious with Trevor. How early did you guys know? Um, and I don't know what your first contact was with him or if there was a moment that you had where you're like, yeah, this kid's got it. Like, um, do you like, do, what do you remember about the first time you kind of like, all right, like this, this kid's a little different than what we've seen before. Sophomore year in high school. Uh, I wasn't the first to notice it. I was one of the last to be honest with you. <laughs> it was a group of my coaches and Brian Stump, the student sports has been doing this longer than anybody and probably understands uh, high school to college development better than any person on the planet. He was like, this guy's just different. Like he's playing at a high level as a 16 year old. He he's physically gifted. Uh, he's got horsepower, twitch combination. He's mature beyond his years. Uh, he he's he's got a skill set that's different. He's <clears throat> he can play the power game. He can play the finesse game. Uh, he leads men. His coaches love him. He wants to learn more. He's not entitled. He doesn't care about all the recognition. He's just different. And then we see him at 17 and he's going through the process and everything I've been told is verified by the look test. And as I get to know him and then we're at a summer thing called the opening, which is 156 best high school players in the country. And they're doing seven on seven competitions. And the biggest thing that jumps out about Trevor is he's got a coach, Craig Knoll, who played nine years, I think, in the NFL uh, and is coaching him. And all Trevor wants to do is learn more. He's not caught up in all the recruiting sites are there and all the media that's covering him and all the fanfare, all he's got up is maximizing his, his week's experience with some old NFL crusty quarterbacks that are coaching him and wants to learn more. And just that thirst to learn, that thirst to get better, uh, the competitive qualities that he, he showed at an early age have continued to grow. Uh, you see how he handled the social injustice issues at Clemson. You see how he rallied troops to, to play through the COVID pandemic. I mean, he just is, a, he's a leader of men and he has the physical gifts to stand up to the best of the best in the NFL. And he's a no brainer. I mean, he really truly is a no brainer and it's, it's up to the Jaguars 
to support him properly and com- and continue his development. Because as Tom Brady's showing, you can be what 113 years old and still find something to get better at. So talking to scouts, like I know, and this is you know you 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 sort of hear it like that this is different, right? Like, and this is you know Elway, Peyton Manning, Luck. I think are the three that yep. you hear. Right? I'd agree with all those. Yes. What do you? What separates him from you know? I don't know, Matthew Stafford or Jared Goff or like the the other guys that have gone first overall, like what would you say separates Trevor and puts him on that ground with a luck with an Elway with, uh, with a Manning? It's a great question. It's one I've been actually wrestling with a lot uh, because as we get further this quarterback discussion, I'm going to use some analogies that it's no longer who's better. It's kind of what your flavor is of quarterback or what you value the most in the position because the position is so diverse and how you play it. Uh, I would say awareness, and it's a word I've really been trying to build off, a term I've been trying to build off just teaching young people is there's just a general awareness as a human being. Some might call it maturity. Some might call it leadership qualities. Some might call it football IQ, social, uh, emotional, like, emotional IQ, but just general awareness, awareness of who he is and being comfortable with that and knowing that he's in process, an awareness of who his um, tribe is. Right. I just don't want to say his players, his teammates, but his tribe, his communities. Awareness of what's going on around them in our world. I think playing quarterback in the NFL is a bigger job than ever because what's going on in our world and you become the spokesperson for your tribe. Uh, awareness in a game. Awareness of situations. Awareness of what you can and can't do. Awareness of your matchups. Uh, I can go on and on. Awareness covers a lot of stuff. And it's something that really, it's Peyton Manning. Right, Peyton Peyton Manning had a greater awareness of his surroundings than most. He's not the most talented guy in the Hall of Fame, uh, but he made up for wherever his gaps were talent-wise with a general awareness of the job. Uh, I steal this from Steve Young all the time, one of my best friends, and I worked closely with at ESPN for 10 years. And Steve would always say the job is so much bigger than anybody understands. It's bigger than most coaches understand. It's just big. It's a big, 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 giant job being an NFL quarterback. Some of us, Steve Young, do it very well. Some of us, Peyton Manning, do it very well. Some of us don't do it as well as we'd like to have, Trent Dilfer. Uh, uh, But it's a big job, and it it has a lot of layers to it. And I think Trevor has a general awareness of what the job is, and and he will continue to grow in that awareness as he develops. And that's why, yes, you talk about the size, talk about the twitch, talk about the horsepower, talk about the arm, talk about the accuracy, blah, blah, blah. All that is very important. But I think what trumps all of it is a general awareness of the job. Is it hard to identify that? It, it, well, yes, because I think there's a lot around, of I'm assuming well, right? there's a lot of fake guys. There's a lot of guys at a young <laughs> age fake the awareness. Uh, right. They know what to say. Uh, they've been trained well, uh, but they, it's not core to who they are. And, and I use, always use just self awareness, right? Maybe that's one of the most important pieces of it. Is you have so many young players now that aren't self aware, and I think. When, they're, when, a, when a young player is self-aware and has the general awareness of the job, that's the combination you're looking for. And Trevor has it. By the way, Justin has it. By the way, Trey Lance has it. Uh, there's some guys in this draft that have unique awareness. They're mature beyond their years. They just have something that most kids of this age don't have. Okay, so let's get to the next guy then. And I think we – it looks at least now like it's going to be Zach Wilson. Like, was he on your radar? Um, back then? Uh, yes, he was, you know, he was, we always, you know, we take 24, 20, depending on the year to quote yeah. unquote the finals. 
uh, every year I say this, that the next 20 have a chance to be just as good, kind of depending on where they go and who coaches them and how they develop. Zach was interesting. He, he was a very, very good athlete. We do the Nike spark rating or the Nike mm -hmm. athletic index. And he was a hundred plus, which is elite. Yeah. Uh, that's an elite spark rating. Uh, and so you knew he had the athletic qualities. He had the competitive fire. Uh, he had the kind of chip on his shoulder. He just in that time of his career, and maybe we were obviously wrong and we're fine saying that at the time, uh, he did not jump out as one of the 20 best, but he was in that next 10. And that's a, that's a pretty, you know, that list is pretty uh, populated in the NFL. <laughs> There's a lot of guys <laughs> in the NFL that were in that next 10. So uh, he was one of those guys. He's, he's a tremendous talent. He, uh, he has the physical giftness you're looking for. He's got the art, art, the artistic qualities, again, stealing from Steve Young. Uh, Steve would always talk to me and we would watch quarterback play. We'd watch Monday Night Football and talk about who's an artist and, and who isn't. And, and Zach's an artist. He's going to create stuff in game. He's not going to necessarily play within the structure of the play all the time, which gets him in trouble. And some will look at it as a negative, uh, but he's also going to paint a picture in the in a game that at the end of the day you're going to go oh that's a really cool picture uh right. and i think that's what people are are enamored by zach he's also he looks like aaron Rodgers and patrick mahomes yes. two of the best players in the nfl right now and the nfl falls uh and i don't say victim that's probably the wrong term because they're not wrong for doing this but it's really easy to make comparables and then fall mm -hmm. in love with those comparables everybody's looking for aaron Rodgers, correct right. everybody's looking for patrick mahomes so when you start seeing qualities in a player that are like two of the greatest that have ever played you're going to say oh we really like this guy because he could be Aaron he could be Patrick so I see the same thing they see you know you see you watch the tape I've watched a ton of BYU this offseason I can't tell you how much BYU I've been studying the run game as much as anything so I've seen I think I've seen every snap multiple times of BYU plays last year not necessarily studying Zach but you naturally see Zach and my as a quarterback my eyes it's gravitated towards his play and you, I see the same thing. Now, if you look at it through a fine tooth comb, a, a microscope, you start seeing some flaws too. Uh, but those, you know, I, I think every young player has flaws. There's guys that are in the hall of fame that had flaws at the end of their career. So uh, this time of year, sometimes we, we focus too much on their flaws instead of their upside. And, and this kid has tremendous upside. It's interesting too. Cause like, I, you know, you sort of wonder if like Mahomes hadn't come along, like if it might've been more difficult for, people to wrap their arms around Wilson as the second pick in the draft. Right. Like, I mean, if Russell, well, well, let's say if Russell Wilson yeah. doesn't come around, right. right. If, if Russell Wilson doesn't become what he becomes, I think every year's conversation is a little different. Uh, if, if this was the archaic way of looking at quarterback, where you have to be six, four and 220 pounds plus and, and have a high release and all this garbage that all these people have spewed forever then we wouldn't have a lot of the quarterbacks that we have in the NFL. We wouldn't have, again, the diversity. And please hear me correctly when I say diversity. I'm just talking about the broad scope of type of play and players yeah. that are at the quarterback position. Uh, it's great for the game, right? I, I, I love it. I love going to Elite 11 Regionals and seeing a 5'10 kid that in the 1990s had zero chance of playing in the NFL uh, or even getting a Power 5 offer, and now he's got mm -hmm. a chance because people, one coach will say, you know, we're fine with that. We love the way he plays. We, height's just a arbitrary number to us. Uh, I love seeing the kid that might, you know, create. He's the true artist, and once he learns structure, he's going to have uh, the ability to play at a high level for a long time. I, there's you can't put 
quarterbacks in a box anymore. And I think that's beautiful, a beautiful part of this game. And, and uh, I think, you know, you can go back to Steve Young, right? I mean, you can go back to a guy I've been talking about on this pod. Like there's been guys that have transformed this position forever. And, and Steve's one of them. Russell's another one. Uh, I, Mahomes is another one. I mean, you can go on and on. So there's always every year there's one kid who gets picked apart. And I noticed you mentioned Justin's work ethic. Um, Justin Fields is that kid that's this year, it feels like, right? Like I think it's fair to say he's the kid who the process has kind of chewed him up a little bit. Do you think it's unfair? Do I don't think- understand. I, I mean, again, I don't understand that. I, I don't know. I don't know where this information is coming from. You know, you you are in uh, as my right hand man, Joey Roberts, tells me all the time, you're in cyber warfare time of time of the year. Yeah. Like there is a cyber warfare going on, and teams are spreading misinformation for their own personal gain about players. It's unfortunate agents are doing the same thing. Uh, I don't understand how you could pick apart Justin Fields' work ethic. <laughs> I mean, the guy's a grinder. His people close to him say it. Uh, I've seen nothing but him being a grinder. Now, does he have that kind of cool uh, vibe to him that may be misinterpreted? Maybe. But, I mean, the my times around him, he was a counselor for his lead 11 this year, and him and Trey Lance are at the meeting before any of the high school kids, ready to go, their notepads open, their pencils sharpened, uh, studying film late at night, working hard with the high school kids on honing their craft, picking the brains of NFL quarterbacks that are on staff. I mean, he's always trying to get better. Uh, this kid, this kid's special. I, I don't know how else to say it. I can, if we want to just make it the Justin Fields pod, we can do that too, but I can go on and on about how I've talked to people in the NFL quarterback voices that I trust a lot. And there's very few of those who have said they have Justin and Trevor equal at top. Like it's, it's really, do you want to, you know, you don't want a Ferrari, you want a Maserati. They're both great cars. It's hard to choose which one's better. So, like, I, and I know, like, the, the interesting thing, and, you know, your guy Joey actually, like, you know, he knows I'm an Ohio State guy. And when, when, when he transferred, Joey was all over him. I mean, yeah. Joey, 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 was, Joey, Joey texted me. He's like, this guy is Cam Newton with natural accuracy. Yeah. You know? and, and I, like, it, it's weird because, like, he did have, like, a couple rough games, like Indiana and Northwestern. And I think like maybe you chalk that up to trying to be Superman a little too much. Right. But yeah, I mean, let's go but, back and examine Peyton Man- Manning's college career, Tom Brady's college career, right. Drew, Brees, yeah. Drew Brees's college career. I mean, guys yeah. have off games now, like yeah. somehow this thing changed to like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, if you're the first pick, you got to be perfect in college. That's, that's an unfair expectation. Guys are going to have stinkers. Uh, and there's reasons why they're not excuses, they're reasons. And yeah. uh, sometimes the guy just played bad. Uh, right. I, I think you look at the body of work. I think if you look at, at critical moments in games, uh, you look at, okay, if anything, if there's a flaw that I want to try to coach out of a guy, it's him trying to be Superman. I'd rather than have that than check down Charlie and right. have to train aggressiveness into him. So, uh, I, Again, I, I don't want to take shots at people. And I honestly, I don't know. I don't watch any of this stuff. I don't listen to any stuff anymore. I studied on my own. I'm trying to lead my my program. I don't even know what's being said. I, Joey fills me on on narratives that are out there, and I wrestle with them. But at the end of the day, I, I don't know how you could find something negative to say about Justin Fields based on his body of work. What do you see? Like, if, Would it surprise you if he's the best five years from uh, now? No, looking at no. the best one of them? 
it wouldn't surprise me. Like, again, a lot of this, where you go, who you're coached by, who you're surrounded by, uh, who your owner is. And there's a lot of variables once you go to the NFL, but I would not be shocked if talk about Trevor, Justin, Trey being the best in five years. None of those three would surprise me. Okay. And what, like, so what is it about Justin? You've used the word special a few times. Justin Fields? Yeah. Oh, sir. So, uh, I would say this. He, he's what Joey said to you when he transferred to Ohio State is correct. He's got rare horsepower combined with natural accuracy. Uh, mm-hmm. He is a freak uh, athlete. Uh, and, and so we're not just talking about a good athlete, a great athlete, a freak athlete. Uh, he has the combination of power and quickness. Um, he's got a really good mind for the game. Uh, I saw some, some things out there uh, that he can't get through progressions. I think he's maybe the best in college football getting through progressions. Uh, he, he can change speeds on the ball. I think that's a really important thing in the NFL. You see guys that are one trick ponies, they throw fire all over the place and it looks awesome and people ooh and on, and then that's just not sustainable. You have to change tempo on the ball to get it over zones, to throw into tight windows. You got to be able to speed it up when you're late. You got to throw it early when you're early. I mean, throw it soft when you're early. You got to be able to throw it deep with accuracy as, as well as throwing the perimeter, or get out of your hand game. Uh, there's nothing in his throw catalog that he doesn't have. Uh, for a great athlete, he's very rare of having poise in the pocket. Like he'll work the pocket before he becomes a runner. Uh, that's something like, again, stealing from Steve. Steve says one of the hardest things to do as a great athlete because you know you can always depend on your legs. Uh, but he's a passer first that can become a runner. Uh, I do think as much as some people keep telling you that the the zone read game is a fad, it's not. Uh, it shows up more and more in short yardage, red zone plays. You start, so you're starting to see it with not even very athletic guys. Yeah. Well, now with Justin, you have not just the athleticism to run the quarterback-driven run game, but the durability. Uh, Joe and I were talking today about joint structure and how important it is for longevity of the position. Because be a Hall of Famer, you got to play at a high level for ten plus years. To play for ten plus years at a high level, you got to be uh, durable, and you're going to have a shirt, certain joint structure that allows you to be durable. Uh, in a big boy sport, and Justin has that. So there's a lot of qualities athletically that separate him. Uh, and then I'll go back to the things he's being – I guess he's being knocked on. Uh, this is a kid that has a, a, a deep thirst to be great, so he's always going to keep pushing the envelope on things, a la Russell Wilson, a la uh, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, you know, the greats of the game. They're always looking for something to get better at, and he's one of those guys. Okay, so where was the other one then? And Trey's obviously a little bit of an interesting case because he, you know, like went to a smaller high school in Minnesota, which is why he was not more heavily recruited from what I understand, right? Like, so he's a little bit more yeah. of like a needle in the haystack type of prospect and had a just bonkers, by, 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 by statistically, like, like it was an anomaly what he did in 2019 won every game didn't throw an interception rushed for a thousand yards all of it um and then you know he his season gets canceled they play one game it might have been his worst game as a collegian i think that's crossed some people up um what do you see when you look at trey uh just without the experience <laughs> okay I mean, and it's a, now that's a big deal now i mean yeah. i do believe i'm I, I do believe there's data to support that your your times being a quarterback, so your reps in practice, 
your reps in games, your live bullet situations, like Trevor's 90 plus starts might be his most impressive thing from high school on. Yeah. Right. So it's just got a lot of times being the quarterback, being the dude, being the guy in the meeting room, being the guy in the film room, being the guy at practice, running seven on seven team drills, blah, 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 blah. I mean, just being the yeah. guy. Uh, Trey doesn't have that. He doesn't have, he has a fraction of that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think this, you know, has affected to us not starting fast in the NFL. Doesn't mean he's not going to finish fast, but not starting fast. I think there's guys that just don't have as many opportunities being the quarterback to this place. I wish Trey would have stayed in, you know, and I've told him that now he didn't, he's coming out. So you have to, you have to take it all and all the information and say, okay, you're looking at the giftedness. You're looking at the upside. There has to be a really solid developmental plan. For instance, if you draft Trey Lance and you're expecting him to play anytime soon, because you're drafting him high, he needs to play every one of your preseason snaps. He's got to make up a bunch of opportunities of being the quarterback by being the quarterback. You have to have a long leash with him, not a short leash with him. You got to let him play through some really tough things. He's going to miss a hot read. He's not going to pick up a, you know, he's not going to make a run check possible. Uh, He's not going to make a run check that he should. He's going to misread a coverage. Just not because he's dumb, not because he doesn't know it. He just hasn't done it enough. It's like anything you need reps. So he needs reps. And, and, and again, if I'm drafting number one, I'm probably not doing that. If I'm drafting six, I might not do that. But if I'm drafting the middle of the first round and I know I have some time to develop this guy, I have a good solid starter. Maybe I have low expectations as a franchise. Maybe I know I'm in a rebuilding mode. Maybe I know I have Patrick, you know, I have uh, Fitzpatrick on his 13th team to help tutor him. You know, a lot of those things go into it. Then he might be the perfect pick. But in just terms of traits, yeah. In terms of work ethic, again, a guy, another guy with massive awareness. Yeah. Uh, this is a guy that is going to be hard to pass up if you're in that situation. So you think he should sit? Oh you, yeah, oh you, yeah. You, I mean, listen, I'm an outlier in this in this day and age. I believe they all should sit to a certain yeah. degree. Yeah. Uh, but I get it. You can't. This is one that really needs to sit for a while. Okay. Um, the other one, then, the, then this would be the fifth one, who might now be the third one, and we'll see where he goes. Is who the knows? quarterback of the national champions, and that's Mac Jones. And I, and I know obviously you have some insight, um, some special insight because of your work with Tua, and so you like have some knowledge of the relationship between Tua and Mac, and um, and sort of what Mac became after Tua. Um, are you surprised to hear people talking about him going in the top five? Yes and no. I, I could get so I get both sides. Uh, number one, I think you got you know a guy that in NFL circles doesn't get the recognition. Maybe he should. He is obviously in the NCAA circles. But Steve Sarkeesian has done an incredible job, obviously, yeah. um, developing these players. Uh, I think finding what they do best and leaning heavily into that is one of the gifts of a great coach. And I think Sark did that with Mac. He took an offense that was built around Tua that was that came from Loxley, that was kind of RPO-based, um, vertical-based, uh, and transformed it into something that still had awesome vertical elements. Don't get me wrong. Mac Jones can pump it down the field. I'm not saying it was – it limited that, but it also 100-and-something completions behind the line of scrimmage. Right. Uh uh, pretty diverse RPO game, but different than Tua's. Where Tua's was more of a second layer RPO, Sark transformed it into a, a line of scrimmage RPO game. 
didn't ask him to convert a ton of must-pass situations, really manage his skill set well, and that's not a negative. Uh, what Mac lacks in athleticism, by the way, he's not a bad athlete. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's not the argument. He's not an elite athlete like uh, Justin, Trevor, Trey, and Zach, right? Really, those four are elite athletes in this group. Uh, Mac is a good athlete. What he makes up for with his not being an elite athlete is having an elite processor. Like he, he has a twitchy mind. Uh, some have twitchy arms, some have twitchy feet, some have twitchy bodies. He's got a twitchy mind. He, it happens now. Uh, yeah. He can process a bunch of information in a short amount of time. He's very precise. Uh, he locates the ball very well. Uh, you know, if it, the ball calls to be, if, if the throw calls to be high and away, it's high and away. If he's supposed to throw a guy up in the middle of the field on a deep route, he throws him up in the middle of the field. Like he has a throw catalog that fits the people around him uh, and fits the schemes he's using. Now I'll say all this with that. I think he needs to go to a place that has a very structured offense. Uh, Again, New England has a very structured offense. He would fit well in a, in a high structure offense. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons. So Matt Ryan is a good comparable. Yeah. Uh, if, if you like Mac Ryan, you should like Mac Jones. Uh, they're very comparable players. I would say Matt. Yeah. I don't even, I don't know if there's that much difference between the two. Uh, Matt's had an, a very successful NFL careers lit up the yardage book and gotten to a probably should have won a Super Bowl. So uh, yes, if you're playing that type of football, if that's what you believe in, then this is a guy that is going to climb your board because you're watching him run an NFL-style offense with an NFL coordinator as his coordinator at Alabama with NFL players because that's what Bama has. And you're going to sit there and go, okay, this fits my perfect. This is, the, this is what I like. Right. And that's where this conversation will always go back to. It's not necessarily who's better. It's what do I like and what fits me the best in an organization. And that's, those are the conversations that are going on right now that the, that the media can't necessarily always uh, articulate because I don't know if the fan can digest it that way. And you're also in cyber warfare mode where at the same time as you like a guy climbing, you want to make sure that guy's available to you. So you're spreading false information in the meantime. <laughs> it makes my brain want to explode, but that is the game that's being played right now. So like, do you think, so Mac, like it's, like, I wonder about this trend because there aren't a ton of examples of old school quarterbacks that have made it of late, right? And I think, like, Goff might be the closest thing. And he played in a Super Bowl. Even though the Rams gave up on him, he did play in a Super Bowl. And, like, beyond that, like, guys who aren't, like, I, I, I think, like, at least, like, a 4-6-40. Like, there aren't a lot of examples of guys who've made it. And here's my theory, and I want to see if you, you, you buy this. I feel like sometimes athleticism buys guys time to develop and then some guys develop through it and other guys don't, but at least early on, if you can be a playmaker on your own, it helps buy you some time. Yeah. I, I, I say it, say your athleticism determines the length of your leash. Right. That's so, what's become in the NFL. So is it possible for a quarter? Like it, would you be afraid to draft a quarterback like Mac Jones in today's NFL? Not Matt, because he's not a below-average athlete. Okay. Uh, he, he's a good enough athlete. I think Sage Rosenfeld did a really nice thing I saw the other day, just showing some subtle <laughs> movements that, that he makes. He's got functional quarterback athleticism. 
Yeah. Uh, I think that's something Gruden kind of coined and the rest of us picked up on is, and it makes a lot of sense is you got to have functional athleticism that lets you play the quarterback position. David, uh, uh, Derek Carr would fit into that category. Um, you know, you have enough to be able to buy space and time. Right. Uh, you don't necessarily have to do that in a second, third reaction world where out there spinning around and fading back and moving left and throwing right, all the sizzle throws. But you got to be able to create enough space and time that when the play isn't dialed up right, you can allow it to breathe a little bit and allow something better to happen. I do think Mac has that. I'm not down on Mac's athleticism. I just don't like it's just not comparable to those other right. freak athletes that are <laughs> yeah. in this draft. So no, I would not be scared. Now I think what happens to Jared, by the way, Jared, dear friend of mine, love yeah. him and really think he's a good quarterback. Uh, but at times what happens is you're looking around the league. If you're the play caller, Sean McVay, you're the general manager and you're saying, gosh, we have to be perfect for him to be perfect. And I look at these other teams that don't have the right tackle. They don't have the left guard. They don't have this. And that's that quarterback's making it all right, even though they're wrong. And as a coach, I can appreciate that because there's a lot of times where I'm not right. And you need your quarterback to kind of save you. And you have your backup center in or your backup left tackle, or you don't have your alpha wide receiver and a guy with unique traits, a guy that has that extra, um, quality to them athletically sometimes makes you look really good when you're not good. And, and I think that's what these guys fall in love with is the ability to make them right when they're wrong. Yeah. Okay. So like, it's, do you buy then the San Francisco thing? Do you buy that, that Mac is the best, best fit for Kyle Shanahan? I mean, shoot, you talk about Steve Young, Steve Young's like the original Mike Shanahan quarterback, right? Like, so um, do you, do you look at him? Do you look at him and say, that makes sense, Kyle Shanahan, or do you look at it and say, you know what? I think Justin Fields might pick Kyle better, or I think Trey Lance might feel. Yeah. Kyle. This one's really hard. Albert, you kind of know where I stand on this. I, John yeah. and Kyle are two of my best friends yeah. <laughs> and I can't text them and ask, like, I won't even ask. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to know. Yeah. I don't want anybody to think I know. I get people on, you know, social media reaching out to me. What are they going to do? And I just am silent because I don't want to know. Right. But here's my, my interpretation. Right. Uh, I think that Justin, I know that Kyle wants to change the launch point. I know with the mid zone running game, the versatility that an athletic quarterback brings. Mm-hmm. I think he has made it work with lesser athletes because he's that good. I think Kyle's that good that he can make it work with lesser athletes. But when you have something rare uh, and you're looking at that and you're like, whoa, wait a second, he can do all the dropback stuff that I need to do. He can do all the high-level quarterbacking I need him to do. And he can pour some gasoline on my movement game. Uh, and I can counterbalance the incredible athletes on defense in the NFC West just because this guy's going to – I'm not going to be wrong very often. If I'm Kyle Shannon, I'm like, I'm not going to be wrong very often. But when I am, this guy, his just, his just physical giftedness is going to get me through some stuff. I find it hard to believe that it's not Justin Fields. Now, if I'm wrong, which I am many times, and it's Mac Jones, I could also see the argument, of, okay, I want to go back to Matt Ryan. I want to go back to that where 
it's so precise as a quarterback that I'm good enough to still play a semi-athletic change the launch point game and gain the benefit in the vertical passing game because this guy's going to process at a high level. He's going to throw guys open. He's going to see the field. So I could see the argument for both. However, if you were to make me say, what do I really believe is going on in that room? It's that it's Justin Fields. Okay. A couple last things then. Um, I do want to look at the rest of the class. You already mentioned Davis Mills. Is there one in the rest of the class outside of the top five where you say, I really wouldn't be surprised if this guy's better than some of the guys that wind up going in the top, going in the top 10, top 15 picks. Hmm. I mentioned, I mentioned Davis. And if it's him, say him, but if it like whoever it might be, if there's one guy where you'd say this guy might wind up being better than at least a couple of the guys who go in the top 15, who would it be? Oh, Man. Understanding that everything could be situational and all of that, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, all all the qualifiers right. ahead of time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would be Davis. Yeah. Uh, I like I'm I I like Kellen Mond most more than most. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, in, in that conversation, it would be Davis Mills. I I think he and I go back to high school. I think it does matter. Yeah. I think his pedigree, the way he was trained. He went to Greater Atlanta Christian in Atlanta that had a really good – we play him this year, actually, ironically. Uh, but a, a coach that really knows how to develop the quarterback. He played with good players. He goes and plays at Stanford, and David runs as sophisticated of a run, run action game as there is. He's been trained really, really well at the high-level um, expectation of quarterbacking. Uh, I think he's a good locker room guy. There's a lot of stuff that Davis brings that if, again, he fits in that Mac Jones athleticism, he's a, he's a good athlete. He's not a great athlete. I think he also will get healthier, right? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a guy that has, has, has had some severe knee injuries that aren't necessarily career-threatening, but I could see it taking a year or two in the NFL, new strength conditioning program, new um, devotion to his body, kind of finding, I was talking to a mom the other day talking about her sons and how you really kind of hit this man strength from like 21 to 25. Yeah. Like it's a different type of development physically. I could see him hitting that different spurt of development from 21 to 25 where he really sprouts as an athlete and as his physicality. So Davis is a guy that I'm going to keep my eye on because I, I believe in him and I, I think his ceiling could be higher than some people are projecting. So it sounds like you think like if he hadn't hit the injuries and everything else, like he might be in this, he might be in the group that we've discussed for the last half hour. Yeah. Again, it, it, there's so many things that happen in these kids right. journeys, but if, if his journey goes smoother, I think he's being drafted higher. Now that doesn't mean if his journey is smoother, he doesn't develop some resilience is going to help him have a higher ceiling long-term. Like this, and this is another thing I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. It doesn't matter where you're drafted. Right. It matters for your leash, right? You're going to get a longer leash, the higher you're drafted and the more athleticism, athleticism you have. But, you know, if you get in the right situation, you go to the right coach. I mean, I think whoever Sean Payton drafts is going to be very interesting. Yeah. Uh, if he does indeed draft one, uh, like there's just guys that know how to develop the quarterback and, it, wherever they go, keep an eye on them because those guys tend to make it. And then there's death sentences for quarterbacks. And if those teams draft really talented guys, they may be on a different team. Maybe one of these four guys who were drafting the top, you know, three picks that end up with a different home. 
now I'm like rooting. Now I guess I'm gonna root for like like Davis Mills to get drafted by Sean Payton just so I can see what yeah. happens. Well, it's funny. It's like one man's trash is another man's treasure. Right. And I did, you know, I, I I just talk about one thing, kind of a thing that made me giggle in the last few weeks. Zach Wilson's pro day throw. Yeah. Right. So Zach Wilson's pro day throw. I don't want to take anything away from Zach. It's impressive. Uh, I, my 17 year old quarterback do it the other day and he did it. So I have a 17 year old here in Nashville who made the same throw. So before you get all, oh, you know, all farts and giggles about that throw, watch Sam Darnold so that he makes in a game. Right. That is exponentially more impressive. It was the one it, against San Francisco, right? Yeah, it's not even close. Left and like he, not, yeah. not even close. So yeah. Zach is moving left, resets his platform, and yeah. makes, what, a 55, 60-yard throw in the air across his body. Ooh, yeah. ah, incredible. Sam Darnold's running left. Yeah. Never resets his platform, completely contorts his body in game and rips a dime in the middle of the field. Uh, my point being is this, if you're the Jets, what don't you like about Sam Darnold that <laughs> yeah. you like about Zach Wilson? Yeah. Like, let, let's just go through all the different things and why is he trash now who has to be the Panthers treasure and now Zach Wilson is the treasure that they just had that they turned to trash. With his contract. It could. Great. And I and listen, I, I liked what Joe Douglas said. I, I you know, I saw what he said and he yeah. loves Sam and all this different stuff. I'm just saying this it's a crazy conversation. Right. Because you know, Joe Schmo on his couch is sitting there going, Oh, one guy's more talented than the other. I uh uh-uh. uh. Right. No, he's not. We're, I mean, like three years ago, Sam Darnold was the safest guy in the draft. And the number one and, and like honestly, I had on good authority that the teams, the other teams in the top five all had him ranked as the top quarterback. <laughs> like so, and, and that's a good segue into like my last question, which is what do you what do you make of all of this? Like Wentz getting moved, Goff getting moved, now Darnold getting moved. Obviously, Stafford, I think, is a different deal because that was yeah. a huge swing. But like when you look at like these teams kind of detaching from guys that were drafted so high, like what do you make of that? And like if a young quarterback who's like say you're a quarterback there, like asks you about that. Like, what do you say? Like, what do you, well, like, what, what, like, what do you think of this development now that guys are kind of being moved on from after? I mean, Wentz was the MVP of the league when he went down. They won the Super Bowl that year. All right. So, you're after yeah. that close to the Super Bowl. I'm going to answer this as if I was a decision maker because I don't want to try to understand right. what some of these decision makers, their, their rationale. I do believe you better try to win a Super Bowl on the first contract. Right. Hence the Joe Douglas thing, right? right. I, I give, if you say the only reason why the Jets did this is the contract, I, I guess I could buy that because you're going to get a cheaper player. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to be able to devote more resources to other players right. and you're going to be able to better be able to, you're going to have a better opportunity to build a program that can compete for a Super Bowl while the quarterback's in the first contract. Um, that's how I would make my decisions. I want to draft somebody that can come in and, and handle the job that we talked about earlier well enough to give me a chance to devote his future resources to other players so that I can compete for a world championship. Right. Now, that does not apply to Jared Goff, right, and the Matthew Stafford thing. Uh, there, I think I touched on that. I think it's you see, you see one guy make something out of nothing and you see the other guy that you feel right or wrong that you have to do a majority of the work to make it right. He's right. an operator more than a creator. Now, be careful because sometimes you wish for something and you just might get it. 
Because the same thing, what happens to the creator more than the operator is that sometimes they take a good play and make it bad. And that's right. something we don't talk about enough. Like yeah. for all the flashy, sizzly, awesome stuff that a guy does when he takes a bad play and makes it good, I could find other examples where, gosh, his first read was open at 10 yards on rhythm, throwing the dang ball. Right. And instead you're trying to do something different. You're making a good play bad. So that happens too. Uh, and then I think there's just this a relational thing that happens in buildings that uh, Jimmy Johnson will only stay at a job for so long, right? Bill Parcells would leave jobs after a little while. Yep. They, they recognize their ineffectiveness over time. They couldn't be as great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that happens with quarterbacks and play calling coaches. Look what happened with Wentz and yeah. Peterson. Look what happened with Goff and McVay. You work so close together. You become so intimate in the process of preparing that there becomes when expectations aren't reached, there becomes some, I think some real stuff, some real relational stuff that gets like in the way. Answers. I, I think, is that it? Like bitterness, that I think yeah. bitterness, I think disappointment. I think sometimes communication lines aren't as open as they should be. I think sometimes it's one person more than the other, not admitting faults. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, right? So it's, it's, it's a highly dynamic, uh, interpersonal relationship that goes on. And, uh, all of us struggle in different relationships. This is one's just magnified a bunch because it's in the public's eye. And I think sometimes it runs its course. Uh, and I think it's healthy at times to separate, uh, in those situations. And I, I think that's maybe what's happened. Let's speak specifically with Goff uh, and with Wentz. I think both of these were probably healthy separations, uh, for both sides. It's interesting, too, because you said going from the creator to the operator. And all I could think then was back to Kyle, where, like, I think sometimes the frustration with Jimmy has been he tries to create too much. And maybe Kyle wants the operator. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're right. Listen, it will not, I will not be blown away if it's Mac Jones. I believe it's Justin Fields, but I won't be blown away if it's Mac Jones. I think there is a healthy arrogance to great play callers. Right. Uh, very healthy. I admire it, and hopefully I'll develop it one day, uh, where you just know that you've out-prepared, you have the answers to the test before the test, and mm -hmm. if you can just get your quarterback to see the game through your eyes, then it's all good. Sean Payton, Drew Brees, I think a great example of that. I think that one of the great simpatico relationships is, is Drew Brees, Sean Payton. I would put Tom Brady, Josh McDaniels, and Billy O'Brien in that when he was the offense coordinator, where – the quarterback was an extension of the play caller, and he saw the game exactly like the play caller saw it. Uh, in Kyle's – Tom Moore, right? Well, I'm Peyton Manning, Tom Moore, yes. So I think you, you get to a Kyle Shanahan, who is one of the great play designers, great play callers in all of football, and there are times when he's going on Monday – or Sunday night, they don't even wait till Monday, Sunday night late at night, you pour yourself a cocktail and you start watching that film and you're like, man, if he just would have seen it the way I saw it. Oh, here's 12 yards. Here's a first down. Here's a third down conversion. Here's a red zone opportunity. Here's a shot opportunity. How in the heck did he not see it the way I see it? He's playing his own game. And I'll use a high school analogy here. My guy is awesome. My guy is awesome. And he's going to play football for a long time. And the biggest conversation me and him have, and we have a great relationship is, bro, stop guessing. Mm -hmm. right, I'm setting the table for you. You have great players around you. You have great coaches coaching those players. 
<clears throat> we're going to try to make your job as easy as possible. This thing goes haywire when you start guessing, when you start trying to make something up that isn't there. And if you just play within the confines of the structure and we're going to let that grow, we're going to give you more authority of this and, and more ability to create, but stay within the process because the process is solid. Uh, you're going to be really successful. And we're going to be really successful. I think I tell that story because it's a, it's a small level where high school football doesn't really matter in the big scheme of things, but the highest level in the NFL, it, it's the same thing. Like you have coaches grinding, you know, their hours you have, this is life or death at the NFL. And they've invested everything into that third and six call. And you spent the whole week for dialing up this third and six call. And it's got answers all the way, all the way around. And when the quarterback plays outside of the answers, it can become extremely frustrating. Okay. Every time we talk with him, he gives us a lot to chew on. I always learn a ton talking to you, Trent. He's the head coach at Linscombe Academy. He's a former first-round pick, former NFL quarterback, Super Bowl champion. Uh, Trent, really appreciate you bearing with me today, uh, first of all. Uh, no, you my- may, hey, by the way, don't take all the heat there. We had an earlier call scheduled. I had to – yeah. I had to change it first, so all good. Sorry about the whining from my dog in the background. I don't know if you guys picked up. I on saw that. he made he made like an appearance in the background. Yeah, but my dog was trying to get some camera time and and whining a little bit. But uh, Albert, always fun. I love what you do, and and anytime I'm trying to make it work and talk some QB play. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And by the way, you can follow him at uh, at Dilfer's Dimes, I believe, right? Yep, that's right. Yep. And uh, and if you want to follow him, follow him at uh, follow Linscombe Academy. I'm sure you can find that on the internet too. Always appreciate it, friend. Thanks, brother. All right. Thanks to Trent. Always great having him out. Always brings us great insight on the quarterback position and the NFL at large. We're going to jump into the six-pack. You guys know how that works. Every week on Tuesday, I put out the call for questions on Twitter. If I pick yours, you get a like on Twitter. That means I hit that little heart button there, and you get an answer on the podcast. And if I don't pick your question here, Good chance that I'll get to it in the mailbag. You can check out the mailbag on the MMQB.com. That posts every Wednesday. Question number one from Danny Stern. That's at D Stern 719. Is there any truth to Robert Sala and Joe Douglas not seeing eye to eye when they were deciding whether or not to keep Darnold? Danny, I my sense is they came to a pretty good consensus on the draft quarterbacks, and then it becomes about asset management, okay? So after they went through their process and they've had a bunch of different guys on the coaching staff and the scouting staff independently look at all of the top five quarterbacks in the draft, and, you know, Trevor Lawrence on top of Justin Fields, on top of Zach Wilson, on top of Trey Lance, on top of Mac Jones, uh, they came to a consensus that there were two that stood above the rest. One of them, of course, you'd assume is Trevor Lawrence, and I think everybody is making the leap and saying that the other one, based on the way that the Jets have conducted themselves from Sala being at BYU's Pro Day to what Joe Douglas said on his conference call with the New York media, that the that, that Wilson is the other of those two. So if we can assume, and I think we can, that the organization looks at it and says, Zach Wilson is our guy as the second overall pick, now it becomes how do you offload Sam Darnold? Because if you're taking a quarterback second overall, whether he's starting for you now, a year from now, or two years from now, chances are whichever quarterback, young quarterback you have on your roster now probably won't be there um, soon enough. How do you offload him from your roster? And 
you know, I think if they had gone through this and Zach Wilson had beat Sam Darnold out in camp, you would crush Sam Darnold's trade value. And, you know, I think you'd have to look at it then and be like, okay, we have him under contract for less than five million bucks now, and he's going to cost some other team $18 million next year. You'd have to exercise that option to create that ability to trade him. It's just, it would have been really, really complicated. So, I think at that point, the the Jets were at the point where they had to make this decision to move on from uh, from Sam Darnold, how they would do it. And I think just from an asset management standpoint, it made most sense to do it now. And I mean, like, look, like part of it too to do right by Sam Darnold was to to, to move him right now. Question number two from baseball is back. That's at MLB underscore is underscore back. The Raiders last two years under Gruden and Mayock have taken guys. In the first round, higher than projected, like like Clillen. I think he said Colin. It's not Colin Farrell. It's Clillen Farrell and Damon Arnett. Give me a player they could draft this year that may be a reach. Well, one thing I think that you need to look at with the players that they've drafted, whether it's Clellan Farrell, a Jonathan Abram in the first round, a Damon Arnett in the first round, or even guys later down the line, like you know a Max Crosby or a Hunter Renfro, there's a profile that Mike Mayock looks for. Competitive, tough, like just ball players, right? Like that's what he's looking for. And it's pretty clear in his reaches and in his picks overall that they have looked for guys who have that trait. Josh Jacobs would be in that category too, of course. So who fits that? There's one I would have my eye on for the Raiders, and this would be really early for him, but you ask for a guy who'd be a reach, who'd sort of fit that profile. To me, the one who fits that profile is Zayvon Collins, the linebacker from Tulsa, who he doesn't quite have the height, weight, speed factor that, uh, you know, Tremaine Edmonds had coming out, but he has better tape than Edmonds had coming out. So again, maybe not the ceiling that Edmonds had, but, you know, a guy who's sort of a proven commodity or as proven a commodity as a guy can be coming out of college who I think fits the profile. So that would be the one, if you're asking me who in the draft class would sort of match up with what the Raiders have looked for in players that could be a reach for them. Like Zayvon Collins, the linebacker from Tulsa would be the one I would look at. Question number three from Dave. That's at Dave 4216. Can the Niners meet one-on-one with Fields and Lance after they throw out their pro day or is that forbidden this year? On paper, Dave, it's a, it's forbidden. Are the schools going to stop it from happening? Are the NFL people on site going to stop it from happening? I don't think so. Now, you can't have a full-on meeting with a guy, but if you want to stand there and talk to him for 10 minutes as you guys are walking out, if you have a little time before your flight, I think you can do that. And that's why I think the idea of these second pro days was smart for Fields and for Lance. And the way that Fields and Lance are handling them is smart too, in that they're not having their throwing coaches script them. And the first time around, that's the way it was. For both of Mac Jones's pro days, that's the way it was. That's the way it's been at pro days forever. But giving the teams the ability to run the show at these pro days, I think is really, really smart by both the quarterbacks. And so it won't be John Beck for Justin Fields. It won't be Quincy Avery for Trey Lance. It's going to be though the, 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 the teams on hand and the coaches on hand running those pro days. So the Niners will get a good chance to see what they need to see from Fields, from Lance, and they'll also get the chance because the crowd is going to be much smaller in fact, I got to double check on this again, but it was only a couple teams at last check that were going to Fields' second pro day at Ohio State. Um, 
that you know they'll have the opportunity to get a little more one-on-one time with those guys just by virtue of being in the same place at the same time. So again, like I think the, the, the concept of the second pro day can be really beneficial for the two guys in question, maybe give them a chance to go third overall. Um, you know, but at the very least, you know, these teams, um, any teams showing up to these pro days are going to have a chance to see these guys in a more intimate environment and a less scripted environment. Uh, question number four from Gary, that's at Gary from the Bay. Do you think the Niners already know who they will be picking at three? I think Kyle Shanahan has a leader in his head. Um, but I also believe this, that they did the trade early in part because they wanted to give themselves some runway to take a harder look at these guys and give themselves the chance to vet these guys a little further. And I do believe, and I have been told that they look at five quarterbacks in this year's class as worthy of going in the first round. Two of those guys will not be available to them, Lawrence and presumably Wilson. So I think, you know, giving themselves the extra cushion from a time standpoint to get fields on the field to get Lance on the field, to get a good look at both of those guys, to get Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch to Tuscaloosa for Mac Jones's second pro day, to be able to get them on the Zoom and be able to talk to these guys freely without worrying about getting out what they're doing. I, to me, like that's really smart. And if it costs you a little bit more, like maybe a little bit more than if you'd done it closer to the draft, I think it's worth it for the peace of mind that you've been able to do all of the work rather than having to sneak around and not wanting to let other teams know what you're doing. So I, I think part of this for the Niners has been we do want to go through the full quarterback process and we don't want to hide what we're doing. And so by going and doing this ahead of time and giving themselves about a month of runway to go and vet these guys, they have the freedom to kick the tires because everybody knows at this point they're taking a quarterback. Question number five from Michael Mannix. That's at the O Mannix. What does Gio Bernard add to the Tampa Bay offense that they don't already have with the current group of running backs? Michael, I think it's a, it's a piece to an offense that Tom Brady has always had and an underrated one. We've always talked about the slots that Brady's had, right? Whether Beginning of his career, it was Troy Brown. Then it was Wes Welker. Then it was Julian Edelman and, and Danny Amendola. He's always had those sorts of players, um, you know, in Tampa. I think Chris Godwin plays some of that role. You know, we've seen Scotty Miller some in the slot. So they've been able to sort of generate that sort of player for him there. Um, always had tight ends, of course, um, or has had tight ends at times in New England. Not always, but, you know, was good early in his career with, you know, guys like Christian Fourier and Daniel Graham and um, and uh, and Ben Watson. Then later in his career, of course, you know, Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez, Martellus Bennett. You see that in Tampa with Cam Bright, O.J. Howard before he got hurt. Um, and, of course, Gronkowski again. And so he's had those things, but he's also, over the course of his career, if you look at it, had the effective passing game back, right? And so if you go right down the line, you look in New England, it was Kevin Falk early in his career. After that, it wound up being Danny Woodhead. After that, it wound up being Shane Vereen and then James White. And if you look at his reliance on those guys in big games, how many catches did Shane Vereen have in their Super Bowl win over Seattle in 2014? And how many catches did James White have in their Super Bowl win over the Falcons, the comeback win in Super Bowl 51? I mean, 
there's been a reliance on that sort of player in the past from him. And so adding Gio Bernard gives him that sort of heady veteran pass catching running back that he's always had. And it makes total sense to me that Gio would have some value. It's why they looked at James White earlier in the offseason. I think it was the vision for Shady McCoy early on too. Uh, finally, question number six from our buddy Shedrick Carter. That's at Shedrick Carter too. With the restructure of Matt Ryan's contract, do you think it's possible for them to move on from him after this year? If not, then does it make sense to draft a QB this year to have him sit for two years before behind Ryan? Doesn't that take away from the allure of having a rookie quarterback contract? Great question, Shedrick. I do think that this is part of the equation for the Falcons where when you're looking at the fourth pick, the question is, how do we see our timeline? Do we want to extend our timeline out and start a rebuild now, which, you know, that would be you take the quarterback, right? Or do we look at the, I guess, upper crust of our players, right? And whether it's guys like Grady Jarrett, Jake Matthews, obviously Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, Matt Ryan's a part of that group, part of that core, Deion Jones. Do you look at that group if you're the Falcons and say, you know what, we can still win with this group if we draft well enough. And it makes sense for us to say, take Kyle Pitts um, with the fourth overall pick, plug him in. And now all of a sudden we're giving Arthur Smith a real chance to have an, a, a really, really effective offense in, in, in year one. And we can build on defense and we worry about the future quarterback in 23 or 24. That would allow you to kind of manage your way out of the cap situation. So it would make some sense. The other thing is you just, the other idea is you just confront the cap problems sooner rather than later. And at some point you're going to have to eat crap on Ryan's contract. And maybe you make that decision to do that next year and you get your rebuild underway with the flexibility to sit the young quarterback this year and go forward. So I think that's a huge part. What you're hitting on is a huge part of the discussion there. And I think it's going to be a huge discussion of the discussion for the Falcons through the draft meetings the next couple of weeks. We'll see what they do. I appreciate you guys coming out. Uh, as always, we want your feedback. We value your feedback. You guys know how to give me your feedback. You can get me on all my social media channels at Albert Breer on Twitter, at Albert underscore Breer on Instagram, at Albert R. Breer on Facebook. And we'd love it if you kind of if you if you give us a rating and a review. That's another way to get us your feedback on iTunes. That helps everybody find us. So again, my social channels, iTunes, that's where to get to me. And you guys know how to get to all of us at the MMQB too. You can do that through our podcast network, um, the MMQB Monday Morning Podcast with Gary, the Weekside Podcast with Jenny and Connor, my podcast. We're all in the same places, just on separate feeds. Um, all you gotta do is hit download and subscribe. Or subscribe three times, and you have all of our podcasts. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you guys get your shows. We are there. Same time next week. See you guys there.